Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. of Luke chapter 22 from verses 14 to 20 and I read when the hour came Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. As you can tell, we are very technically savvy in this place. We, we just love to show expertise. Well, sorry, apologies for, uh, for some of the hiccups, as Yemi has said, um, with, the, with the technical equipment. All right, so let's, um, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Now, Lord, may the meditation, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. All right, so welcome to City Church. As Yemi has already said, we're a gospel-centered urban church, and we're actually looking to begin official services in January. So this, this between September and December, we're actually talking about some of the things that um, we want to be. We're looking at the vision of the church and how we want to go about being a church. So if we think gospel-centered urban, we've kind of taken the four months and tried to do something with it. So the first month, which was September, we looked at the gospel. So we're gospel-centered church. So we looked at the gospel, talked about the gospel story, the gospel status, the gospel life, and the gospel hope. Now, this month, we're looking at being a church. So we want to consider things that will be important. Not everything for a church, but things that will be important. So the last um, uh, two weeks, the first week, we looked at uh, baptism. Uh, last week, we looked at being a community of love. This week, we look at the Lord's Supper. And next week, which is every pastor's favorite, for two weeks, we'll be looking at generosity. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> All right, and then in the month after, as Yemi said, we're an urban church. Urban centers have unique challenges. Um, You know, the urban animal, we are created in a certain image. And so we have challenges that face us that are unique, you know, to to urban centers in in many different ways. So two of those we're going to look at next month would be marriage and, and singles are invited, obviously, and... um, and uh, how our faith then mixes with our work, all right? So again, we're invited, and then there's uh, December, which we're still not sure what we're doing. So this month, um, last week, Yemi looked at being a community of love. 
And the, month, and the week before that, we looked at baptism. And I want to say this again, and this was my opening um, in the previous message on baptism. Some of us here probably would say something like this. Christianity is not a religion. It's the way of life. In fact, recently I saw a writer that was saying, this is why I hate the fact that people say that Christianity is a religion. It's just a way of life. It's about an intimate relationship with God. Now, if you're here, you've ever uttered those words, you probably are thinking, well, I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus, isn't it? You know, Jesus was a radical reformer. He couldn't care less. The Pharisees were the guys who had religion, and Jesus couldn't give a riff about it. Well, I like what one writer says. His name is Kevin DeYoung. Forgive me again if you've heard this quote that I said last week, but I recognize some of us are uh, here, weren't here two weeks ago. Jesus was a Jew. He went to services at the synagogue. He observed Jewish holy days. He did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. He founded the church. He established church discipline. He instituted a ritual meal. He told his disciples to baptize people and to teach others to obey everything he commanded. He insisted that people believe in him and believe certain things about him. If religion is characterized by doctrine, commands, rituals, and structure, then Jesus is not your go-to guy for hating religion. Now, this is really important because sometimes we say, look, these four hours of rhythm, rituals, uh, give me another one, rhythm, rituals, routine, and, okay, I can't remember, it's not in my notes, all right? It was in the previous notes, all right? But, and rights, why, why do we have them? At the end of the day, the most important thing is a relationship with God. That's the most important thing. You will not be wrong, except that the relationship itself does not mean that that's the only thing. I have a relationship with my wife. It doesn't mean that I don't have to wake up at a certain period of time. It doesn't mean that I don't have to pay the children's fees. The relationship itself leads to many things, and it actually transforms those things. So if you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ as in a solar system, it would be the sun that is at the center and many other planets revolving around it. And so we think of the power of symbols in our lives. Right? Symbols are visible signs of invisible realities. They connect us to those realities by sometimes bypassing time and space. So, for instance, I have to say this, and you probably already know it, I'm a self-confessed foodie. In other words, I love food. All kinds, no, not all kinds of food. Green peas, no. Um, I'm allowed, certainly not. But obviously, you know, give me a good soup. But right now, I'm actually into eating. How many of us have had this... Um, Oats, um, what's the word? Oh, yeah, it's called swallow. We prefer to call it okele. But, you know, oats uh, thing. I'm actually into that now. It's, it's, it's the substitute for actually losing weight if you don't want to eat it, but so I'm told. But food, we love it. We love the taste. We love, you know, the interaction, the cooking for some of us. But food does a lot more than that, doesn't it? Food has a way of uniting people. Most times we want to have meetings and we say, let's have a meal. Come for my birthday, there's a meal. We share our relationships around a meal. It doesn't really matter sometimes what the meal is, whether we are very, very rich or we don't have a lot of money. People always find. My driver recently celebrated the, the, the uh, one-year-old uh, birthday of his son with the little that he had. Believe me, there was food there. So do you remember when you were young, when your parents told you, don't just eat in anybody's house, right? You went to someone's house and they asked whether you wanted to have a drink or a meal and then your mother gave you a kind of look like, don't even dare, right? But again, you went to some people's houses and your parents were like, ah, Shalom, uh, do you know, is there, is there food in the house? Why? Because even eating in someone's house was a sign of trust and friendship. 
The fact that I can eat with you says something about my relationship with you. This is why in Psalm 41 verse 9, someone who betrays someone is made much more um, weightier because you've eaten with someone. Hear what David says. He says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. So food is very important. Symbols are very important. And therefore, in what the passage that um, 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 from the passage that Bola read for us, there's something. One more thing. In the, if you look in verse 19, there's only one command concerning this Lord's supper. He says, "Do this in remembrance of me." You know, we're so prone to forget things, prone to forget people. Um, sometimes it's because, really, quite frankly, we don't care. But sometimes it's because of affinitude. Someone travels and, you know, you were very, very good friends before the person left. But now the person is not actually here. You say, don't worry, I'm going to call you. I'll make sure I keep calling you. And the person gets there. You do that for the first week. Second week, it actually drops down. Before you know it, you don't call. And then you start calling yourself and say, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten me. But actually, the problem is that there are other people actually in front of you that you have to actually mix with. We are finite. And sometimes, because of affinitude, we forget. And so we have birthdays. We have anniversaries. Now, in the Lord's Supper, we're saying basically that this thing that Jesus Christ has done is important to us. We symbolize it with a meal. Jesus is saying, take this meal and do something for me. Remember me. Don't forget me. Now, it's in that remembrance we want to look at this um, uh, passage in three different points, all right? Three different points. So the first is, remember he came, commemoration. Remember his coming, anticipation, and remember he is here, communion. Say it again. Remember he came, commemoration. Remember his coming, anticipation, and remember he is here, communion. Now, if we turn, let's take the first one. If we turn to, uh, if we look at verse 20. Why do I think I have the wrong passage? Luke 22, right? Honestly, my Luke 22 is saying something else. Oh, no, no, it is. Now, in verse 20, it says something here. Notice it says, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's a covenant? What's a covenant? Now, one thing one says that a covenant is different from a contract and just an emotional relationship. A, com- a covenant is like a commitment more intense and intimate than an emotional relationship, but it's more binding than a contract. Say that again. It's more intimate and intense than any emotional relationship that you have, but it's more binding than any legal contract. In an emotional relationship, right? Let's say two people that are dating. You love each other, we send each other texts. If you're on WhatsApp, like I'm not, and some people are trying to be, um, uh, blackmail me into doing. In fact, they said, well, what, what did Femi say? No offering. <laughs> if, if uh, you know. Anyway, but... You chat with each other, you keep each other up, up until 4 a.m., you do all these different things. The moment the person annoys you, the moment the person doesn't call you, you say what? I'm out. What happened to that intimacy that was there, but didn't it bind you? No, it didn't bind you well enough because you weren't actually bound by any contract. And yet, also, in contracts, what do you find with contracts? Most times in contracts, for instance, contracts can be broken. Covenants are not meant to be broken. Or in a contract, we have all those causes there that protect ourselves. Actually, in covenant, you are actually meant to be thinking about the other. So, like, for instance, the Bible says that the the covenant among us as people of God 
is bound by love, and love does not seek its own, but actually seeks the, the good of the other person. So God made a covenant with people in the Old Testament, right? For instance, he started with him making a covenant with a man called Abraham. And through Abraham, he had a a family and then a nation. And these people were called Israel. And in Israel, Israel were in, in, in bondage in Egypt. And God actually wrought a mighty deliverance, brought them to the Red Sea. What a fantastic thing. And after that, on the Mount of Sinai, God actually made a covenant with them. Now, in Exodus chapter 13, before they went out of Egypt, God then instituted a particular meal. He said, look, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to actually, I've had nine plagues, but on the tenth plague, I'm actually going to break the resistance of the Egyptians. Now, you must commemorate this. I don't want you to forget. He says, I'm going to send a destroying angel that's going to take the firstborn of every every Egyptian. But if you don't want to, if you don't want destroying angel to come into your midst, take the blood of a lamb, actually put it on the doorpost of your houses and the lintels, and if the destroying angel sees that, he will pass over you. And so this Passover meal became instituted. Remember in verse 14 and 15, that is what they're about to celebrate now. This Passover meal, it's now been practiced for 1,500 years, commemorating what had happened before. In Exodus 24, when God then made a covenant with them, there was blood, you can read Exodus 24, 7 to 11, there was blood that was sprinkled upon the people. And after that, it says, quite crucially, in verse 11, or verse 10, Exodus 20, um, uh, 24, verse 10, under his feet, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm on a road today, as you can tell. Um, in, verse, in verse 7, it says, Then he took the book of covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled upon the people. This is the blood of covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all the words. Verse 9, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as blue as the sky. And quite crucial in verse 11. But God did not raise his hand against the leaders of Israelites. They saw God and what? They ate and drank. Now they're in a covenant relationship with God. And guess what happens? After they do all the the fantastic God has spoken to them, all those wonderful things, what did they do? They sat down and ate and drank before the Lord. Because now they're in a friendship relationship with God. So with the Passover meal that actually continued all these 1,500 years, what are the Jews doing? This is what we can call a covenant renewal ceremony. Something has happened before in the past. It's not happening again, but God is saying, can you renew it actually in the present? It's almost basically what they were doing was contemporizing the historic. Something historic had happened, and through this meal, they're actually making it contemporary. Fast forward to where our passage is now. Jesus now says that I'm actually making a new covenant. In other words, the old one was becoming obsolete. Why? Because Jesus is saying that even though there is something true about the old covenant, it is actually pointing to somewhere else, a greater reality, and as a result of that reality coming into force, this one is made obsolete. And so if he's saying one is new, it's because he is now saying that the other one is old. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul calls Jesus Christ our Passover lamb. If you think about it, 
Israel's de is, uh, the, the deliverance that, that uh, God wrought in Egypt led to a meal. And now Jesus is saying, I am about to bring about a greater deliverance, a greater exodus, exodus out of the power of the enemy and out of the world. And it's going to be done not in the blood of the Lamb, but actually in my own blood. How many of us here, just raise your hands, if you are in the line of work, I'm not talking about study, but if you're in the line of work that your parents uh, were or are in, just raise your hand. So if your dad was an accountant and you're an accountant, raise up your hand. If your dad was a farmer and you're a farmer, raise up your hand. Are you all your mom? Okay. We have a grand total of one. And that's actually saying something about our age. In Jesus' time, if your dad was a baker, you bake bread. Right? If your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. If your dad actually made violins, you were also you made violins. And therefore, when Jesus in John chapter 6 says something like, you cannot actually live if you don't eat my bread and drink, uh, sorry, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yikes. Right? It sounded strange. Even some of the disciples actually left him. But in some ways, people that were there in an agrarian society where everyone did what their parents did would actually understand something there. So, for instance, if we went to um, Tasty Fried Chicken now, for instance, right? And you had, you had chicken, you had rice. What is happening there? If you don't actually eat food for one day or two days or three days, we can call it a fast. If you don't actually eat food for two weeks, you probably will get very, very, very ill. If you don't eat food for three months, you will die. But for you to actually die, a piece of chicken had to die first, isn't it? Right? I, no one has ever eaten a live chicken here before. If you have, peace, come forward and let's do deliverance. <laughs> for rice to actually be eaten, it has to be uprooted and actually taken. Something dies that we eat so that we can live. And so when Jesus is saying, you need to eat me, and if you don't eat me, you cannot live, he's essentially saying, I have to die so that you may have life. And then this is symbolized in the fact that we partake of his body by actually eating it and drink of his blood by actually drinking him. We know this even in our covenant relationships, whether as children of our parents or as spouses, isn't it? We, in marriage, we say that, you know, the vows, right? We, we will love and cherish in sickness and health, committing all our good effort, energy, time for the person. In other words, I'm going to expend myself. I'm going to expend my own life so that you can have life. And when we have physical intimacy, physical intimacy as, 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 as husband and wife uh, in, in, in sexual union, what we are essentially saying is, all those things I said and I promised before all men and women and, and actually before God, I'm actually trying to contemporize it. In other words, in sex, we are basically saying in a sensual way, I remember and I love you. And in a very, very similar way, this covenant relationship that we have with the Lord in which he gave his life for us so that we can live, when we eat and we drink, we are saying, Lord, we remember and we love you. So it points us to the past of what Jesus Christ has done. 
Now you may say, I get it. But is it only the past alone? Let's think of the second point. Remember his coming anticipation. Now if you look in verse 16 and verse 18, there's something about fulfillment there. It says that this, one would, this meal will be fulfilled in another time. Now the thing about commemorative events that actually look to the past is also that they could, in many ways, point to the future. So think of that famous thing. I don't remember the last time any of us did uh, our birthdays or celebrated it. Now the children now are a little bit more modern. They don't say this. But you know how it was. You sing the happy birthday to you at the end of the day, and then we do the recital. We wish you many... Okay, no, no, let me say it better. I didn't know. We wish you... Many happy returns. No hip hip hips, all right? Now, do you notice something about that? We're wishing them many happy returns of this particular day. We're praying that that day will return over and over. And then we, leave, we wish the person long life and prosperity. In other words, we're saying, it's great that you're here. It's great that we're celebrating the past. But what is even much more worth celebrating is actually the future. So in other words, through celebrating our birthday, our birthday, which is in the past, we start looking already into the future. And in this, in verses 16 and verses 18, Christ is saying that this commemorative event that points us to the, uh, to the, uh, to the past is also anticipating the future as well. Now, the future is actually seen, we can see it in a very symbolic way in Revelation 19. Let's just turn to Revelation 19. I'll read verses 1 to 3 and 6 to 9 and say some things about it. Revelation 19, 1 to 3, 6 to 9. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his saints. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Finally then, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Finally then stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Verse 9. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now, how many of us know that wonderful staple of the Yoruba culture that is called the Oambe? Right? You've both been there. Stop looking sanctimonious, right? Especially during uni days, I had this friend. His, name was, uh, his nickname was Zot. I, I shouldn't say what my nickname was. All right, we used to hang out. And one of the things that we used to do was, you know, most times you'd be in school during the weekend, and it didn't really matter what was ha happening. If you called me for a rave, no. Because really, with raves, what happens? You go in there, you have to pay to enter. You have to, everyone is sweaty, you know, on the dance floor. Then the drinks are like five times the price. There's no food, and you, I'd rather be sleeping. I can't understand why anybody went there. But he said, ah, Femi, my dad is 70. Ah. Why? Because you know what? Nobody's going to ask you for any money. You're going to sit down there. Even if you don't know the people that are just there, just say, I'm with the Williams. You know, there's always Williams, you know. <laughs> right? The, the food is flowing. You know, you can't even stop it. Drinks are flowing galore. 
It's in the daytime, right? So you can go back home and sleep. Now, in this revelation, actually, believe it or not, God is saying here that there is a, an Owen bear that is the mother of all Owen bears. You think I'm actually taking for, I'm actually ripping this off from text. No, look at verse 9. It says, Blessed are those who are invited. Owen bear. And he's saying, Look, if you're not going to be in this particular party, you're cursed. You see, in chapter 18, what has just happened is the judgment of the great hall. You have a contrast between a whore and the bride in verse 7. His wife has made herself ready. And at the end of the world, Jesus is saying there's going to be a dualism. There's going to be destruction of evil, and there's going to be elevation of the good. And he does that in many different contrasts in the book of Revelation, whether it's two cities, right, Babylon and Jerusalem. So whether it is the new Jerusalem that's coming down or Babylon the great has fallen. But now he's showing us a whore has been judged. And now, that's why 1 to 3 celebrates the judgments of God. And now he's saying, but there's something else that's going to happen. So our future glory can be pictured as one great party. And he's saying, blessed are those who are going to be there. Notice that it's called a wedding, but it's also called a wedding supper. In other words, there's going to be food there. So when Jesus is saying, I am going to celebrate this thing with you again in the kingdom of God, he's saying, do not only look to the past, look to the future as well. Now, one of the things that is fantastic about the new world that is going to come, apart from all the evils that, are go- that is being taken, you know, how many of us are distressed with the American election? You know, I just feel like, just feel like somebody still called me last night and was just railing against some of the candidates that are there. I mean, it is terrible. One of the things I find out, why people are too energized about it is because some people say, look, if we don't vote for this candidate, it's all going to, I mean, America is finished. There's something about us sometimes in that we want to hold on to this world for too long. We feel if I don't get this job, it's finished for me. If I don't marry this particular person, that's it. My life can be gone. If this person is actually not voted into power, you know what, we can, we're going to hell in a, in a handbasket. And God says, look, no matter whether you don't get engaged with that person, whether you don't actually have children or whatever, Jesus is still Lord. And that kingdom is coming where there will be no more sadness. It is going to be a party. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're not just saying, thank you, Lord, for what you did in the past. We're also saying, Lord, we remember and we wait for you. See, the most fantastic thing about the supper there is not the food. That's great. It's not the things that we'll be wearing will now be clothed with the righteousness of God. That's even more fantastic. It is the marriage supper or the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's because He will be there. He was there at the very beginning. He says, I will not do this with you again until the kingdom of God. And so we are anticipating the one who our soul loves. We look forward to seeing his face. And so you say, well, I get it. Past and future. But I need it for now. And so we get to the third point. So remember he came, commemoration. Remember he's coming, anticipation. And remember he's here, communion. Now if you notice something in the passage, Jesus took bread and he took the cup. In other words, it's one bread, one cup. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17 says, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. 
Now he broke it. Now this is what is so unfortunate sometimes among us in the church. Is that we actually accentuate and behave more. We see the fragmentation of the breaking of the body. So you are here. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I believe this. You believe that. You are actually bad. I am actually good. We actually see the fragmentation. Or he says he divided the cup. Of course. We are divided. That's the point. But we don't see that actually the body was broken for us to be joined. Or that the blood was shed for us to be united. In other words, what he's saying is that though it is one bread, there are many of us. Don't take the many to actually talk about our differences more. It's actually, we are so diverse and yet we are united. If the shedding of the blood and the body itself can speak to the literal physical blood of Christ and the physical body of Christ, it also points to the mystical body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Now I say that because in this place, even alone, as small as we are, there are many of, we are very, very different. I've spoken with some of us, you know, we bring up some issues, we, we talk about things differently. We believe different things. In fact, some of it in our Christianity. And sometimes our character is different. But don't allow diversity to equate to division. The search, you take the, 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 the Latin on, 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 the, on the coin, one of the American coins is a pluribus unum, out of the many one. We can take our diversity and use it as a way to actually rail against ourselves. Or we can take diversity and see the beauty of our unity. Now, we come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different experiences that we've had, different ages. And yet God is saying, in this meal, we're only taking one bread. And we're drinking one cup. In other words, there's something that actually unites us. Now I say this because this is a very, very, very important point. In fact, this, this is one of the things that makes this meal very sacred. In 1 Corinthians 11, in 27 to 29, Paul says that, look, God judges people who approach in an unworthy manner. And the particular context there shows that what God was judging was people that actually brought disunity. Demonstration of disunity. In that society, they had a 10-day week, not a 7-day seven week, uh, week. Those who were celebrating the supper were operating on the 7-day week, but actually the Roman world was a 10-day week. So what happened is that sometimes when they went to celebrate the supper, other people were working. Now, the rich people didn't have to work throughout the day, uh, throughout into the evening. So they got there early. They started eating their meals. And then the, old, the poor people came in late. By the time they came in, there was no food there. And Paul is saying, are you despising the body of Christ? In other words, God hates disunity in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean we should all just join hands together, sing kumbaya, and just get over our differences. Some of the differences are real. But we don't put those differences out forward first. We say we are united first. I'm in a family. I have two sisters. I don't choose the sister that I have. I always thought they were wrong. I still think they were wrong in all the fights that we had. That doesn't change the fact that they are my sisters. And so now, City Church, some of us, we start going to our gospel communities. We start spending more time with one another. Some people have already started complaining to me about that person and that brother. This one doesn't do this thing the right way. This one doesn't go about it the right way. You know that particular person? Let's be careful. I'm not saying again that differences don't matter and certain things, sins don't actually matter. But let us approach it in a spirit of unity. 
Why am I talking about this person? Because I love that person. Before you talk to someone else about the other person and what that person isn't doing right, have you befriended the person? This is so important as we take of one bread and one cup. Because there's only one thing that the Bible shows us can really truly unite sinful men and women. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We lay down all our different pet peeves and all our different pet projects and we say we put it down at the feet of God. So that when we approach this place, we know that we are standing on holy ground. We are talking about the unity of the body of Christ. And so this is how we approach. We approach thinking about whatever sins that we have had in the past. And we say, Lord Jesus, we place it at your feet, at your feet now. We think of what you've done for us. And then we think about if we have any ought against anyone here, we also lay it down. Because some things are more important. More important than our standards. Some things are more important than, than the things that we think is very, very important. We take of one body, and we partake of one bread and one cup. Now, as I'm going to go through to this table now, I want to say something about someone here that probably doesn't believe, is not truly a Christian, or is still contemplating. You know, one of the fantastic things that we celebrate in this supper is we want you to watch us. We want you to see how the Lord's people approach, come together, eat of one bread. And we want you, in that regard, to participate with us as well. But we want you to participate with us because you know that this thing, that what God has said about you is true. Because you know that truly you've lived life really for your own self and not for Jesus. Because you know that what Jesus says about you in that you are a great sinner but that you are greatly loved is actually true. Now if you're like that person here, what I'll say is that please stay in your seats. Don't feel embarrassed about it. Watch us and then speak to somebody. If you know you want to commit to, uh, your, yourself to Christ, speak to myself, speak to Yemi, speak to Femi. And then let's, let's prepare you for the next time that we'll celebrate this. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.